Well, good morning, guys. Thank you for uh, that time off we had last week. That was good. I was able to take a week off from uh, from both work and ministry, so it was nice to kind of get refreshed and spend some time with my family and, uh, you know, just kind of think about things, and sometimes we all need that, and I would, uh, I, I'm not the best at that, to be honest with you, taking time off and doing things, but... You know, every time I do, I realize I'm like, why am I such an idiot? I had uh, I had gone five years. <laughs> I had gone five years without missing a Sunday when we first started this church, and uh, and I just felt like I had to be here every single Sunday. And uh, and man, just I didn't realize the toll it had taken on me and my family and everything else. And I was just I remember that first Sunday taking it off, and it felt so weird. You know, and I was just kind of like, oh, I wonder how things are going and kept my phone, you know, I wonder if they need to call or whatever it was. And and then I realized you guys didn't really need me and I'm good now. I take a day off. I'm like, you know, hey, we'll be fine. So uh, just again, it blesses me. I love Carlos. Carlos has really become a very good friend of mine. He's an elder at Calvert Chapel uh, Southeast and uh, just man, you know, his word was solid. I, I love it when I bring somebody to share the word. And, uh, and again, it's good. It's just solid. It's, it's exactly what needs to be said. Um, and he always does so well. So besides him just being a good friend of mine, I, I just love his zeal for the Word of God. And that's uh, whenever I leave, that's what I want for you guys. I want to make sure that whoever comes in and, and is teaching you guys is going to have that same passion for the Word of God as I do and uh, just wants to make sure that you guys have everything that God has to offer through His Word. So uh, always blessed by Carlos and his wife, Adriana. So just thankful they came in. All right, why don't you guys, uh, I see many of you opened up 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 19. We're going to cover a two whopping verses. We're going to do a Greek word study today. No, I'm just joking. We're not going to do that. But we're going we're gonna to cover just these two verses, which I think are really important. So let's pray one more time and we'll get rolling here. Father, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray now, Lord, again, open our hearts, open our minds, give us a focus. Um, Lord, Help us not to have any interference of you speaking to our hearts through your word. Father, help us, Lord. We know that that has to be by you. So would you please do that for us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a few weeks ago, Peter stressed his commitment to spend the rest of his life reminding these people of the essential truths of Christianity. Especially being that there were already many false teachers that were around at that time who were trying to undermine those truths which Jesus had established and the apostles were, were promoting and making sure that people understood. The false teachers were saying that the apostles were promoting their own ideas, that these were myths that they were making up about Jesus. When the reality was, it was them that was making up stories about Jesus. So these early attacks of Christianity against the truth of Christianity really serve as a reminder to us right away that, that whenever the enemy cannot disprove truth, he takes another course of action against truth. And when he cannot disprove truth, because there are some undeniable truths about Christianity, he then goes a different way. He tries to distort truth. So if ever you can't deny truth, you try to distort truth. And the, and the enemy is a master of this. And he's worked at this all these years. He does that because what remains about truth, if there's a little bit of truth in there, what remains of the truth that is there, it's powerless to change lives and to save souls. It's so diluted and it's so mixed up with other things that it doesn't have the power that we have when it's just pure, unadulterated, just the Word of God 
Just something that God takes from His Word and just ministers to us. What, what anybody, any false teacher tries to do is present a little bit of the Word of God, a little bit of the truth, and then dilute it and mix it up and take it out of context and, and use it for their own agendas. And that is powerless to change lives. Powerless to save souls. It cannot do it. So that's what the enemy does. I thought about it this week, and we have these same kind of attacks against Jesus in our day and age, don't we? Isn't it the same thing happening? I I thought of two particular groups, and I'll I'll do a little thing, and and you can go ahead and answer, but don't shout out the answer at the very beginning, because some of you will know it at the very beginning. But some of these type of religions, false religions that are out there, that take a little bit of truth... And then, they, and then they inject a bunch of lies and they kind of all repackage it. And then they present it as being equal to what we believe. The first one that I think of is a cult that would say that Jesus is really Michael the archangel. That Michael became a man. That he was the one who died upon the cross physically. That it was not the son of God. They do not believe that God, that Jesus was divine. Nor was He the Son of God. They claimed that He did not have a bodily resurrection. That it was a spirit. As a matter of fact, it was a spirit that God dissolved afterwards and ceased to exist. And then He just took that back to heaven. Anybody know who that would be? That might show up to your doorstep? Jehovah's Witnesses. This is what they believe about Jesus. Yet they will tell you that it's the same thing we believe. Let's go with the next one here. I'll just summarize it. I, I read one that I thought was pretty concise. This particular one says that they believe that God is only one of countless gods. That he used to be a man on another planet. That he became a god by following the laws and ordinances of that god, of that world. And that he brought one of his wives to this world with whom he produces spirit children who then inhabit bodies at birth. Their first child that was born was Jesus, the most esteemed of all their children. Second was his brother Lucifer, which is Satan. And then we all followed after that. What cult would that be? Mormonism. Mormonism. And yet they will tell you, we're Christians like you. The problem is, Christians are based off of a belief in Christ. And if you are not in agreement of who Jesus Christ is, you are not the same religion. You are not Christians. It's very, very important that you ask the question, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Because, because yes, because if you don't get that part right, then you can believe in Jesus, but it's powerless to save you, and it's powerless to change you. You have to have the right Jesus. Where do we get the right Jesus? From God. From God, but where do we learn about Him? Through His Word. Through His Word, it's on your laps. It's on your phones, you better not be texting. It's, you know... <laughs> Pastor Clint's dumb. No, it's not that. Okay? You learn about who the identity of Jesus Christ is through His Word. That's why you need to be students of the Word of God. That's why you can never... Church is not enough. 
Listening to some podcasts is not enough. You've got to get in the Word of God. Just this morning, I was wrestling with doing that song SOS because part of the criteria is, you know, it's like, okay, is it worshiping God? And this is more of a song that is talking about feelings of what we would feel. And sometimes I'm conflicted with that in, in a worship environment to play a song that talks more about how we feel than just glorifying God. So I was almost going to pull that song out. I'm like, I really, really like this song. The Lord has really, really ministered to me through this song. And I was like, you know, Lord, and I just literally I put everything away this morning. And I was like, I haven't read my Bible for a couple days for me. I'm going to read my Bible for me this morning. So I opened it up and I finished up Philemon, Philemon. No, I'm just joking. Philemon. And I'm reading that. And then I get into right into next to Hebrews and I start reading and right in chapter two, verse one, that verse. You know, and, and once again, the verse was I'll read it to you because I didn't memorize it this morning. Sorry if I disappoint you in that. But. It was, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And right away, the Lord kind of gave me confirmation in my heart about that. You know, Lord, I'm reaching out. One last plea. Is hope all gone? Will somebody save me? You know, and I think of just sometimes how we feel in life where you're drifting. You're getting further and further from the Lord and you feel like the solution is further and further away and you feel more and more distance. And we feel like that sometimes. SOS, God, I'm lost at sea. Is hope all gone? Will someone save me? Well, the answer is the next song, Jesus Messiah. That's the solution. But you better make sure you have the right Jesus. Eternity depends on it, not church membership. It's not about which church has more people, because I'll tell you what, you go by any Mormon church or any Jehovah's Witness church, I'll tell you what, they're committed people. I have friends that are Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, and I love them dearly. Great people. But they're misled about who Jesus is. They don't know the truth. They've, they've been taught things that have been handed down to them and been deeply ingrained in them. And what they've done is they've taken the word of God away from them. Just the word of God. They've taken it away and substituted it with other writings and other teachings and other prophets and quote unquote apostles. And now these things have taken preeminence in their life for learning about who God is and what God wants. And next thing you know, you started off just a few degrees wrong and now you're way wrong. Because that's the way that error works. It, it may start out subtly and it may just be something that, that's just slightly wrong, but eventually that just gets you completely off course and you miss the whole mark completely. This is why we have to know the truth and this is why you have to know the truth by getting in the Word of God. And like I said, if, if man, if Sunday's the only opportunity you have to get in the Word, we're covering two verses today, people. Uh, three, okay, three, I forget, it's three, three verses. There's a lot more in the Word of God, just in case you don't know. A lot more. And just like when I open my Bible and I'm like, Lord, I need you to speak directly to my heart. Your greatest teacher is the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. That's the best teacher there is. There's no pastor, there's no preacher, there's no talker, speaker, anything that can do a better job of ministering to your heart than just the Word of God through the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, he gives some of us to teach and help us explain and do those things. And I thank God that there's been people in my life that have done that for me. But do not negate just getting in the word. Not just because that's what you do to be a good Christian. That's what you do to survive. 
That's how you live life. This is what you need. Get in the word. So just like what Peter was going through, we're still going through these things, and we will until the Lord returns. As a matter of fact, I believe these things will increase. More and more false teachings, false deceivers. In those days, Peter was battling the attacks against the truth. And that's why in order to refute these false teachings in verse 16, which we we started this a couple weeks ago, but I had to back up to this because I see two lines of evidence that he uses. He has two lines of evidence, see, because it's kind of their word against his. They're teaching something, he's teaching something different, and he's writing to his people and he says, I have two specific lines of evidence so that you know what I'm teaching is correct. And that's where we read in verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. If you don't have that underlined, you need to. This is really, really, really important. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. Now, the word fables in verse 16, it means myths. Maybe you have that in your translation. It's manufactured stories that have no basis in fact. That's what it is. Manufactured stories that have no basis in fact. Remember, we talked about it this section in verse 17. This is a reference where Peter, James, and John, this is their eyewitness account as Jesus was transformed in front of their eyes on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that? He was there. And and the miracle was not that suddenly Jesus was transformed and they were allowed to see His glory. The miracle was that for all those 33 years that Jesus existed in the flesh, that wasn't evident besides that point. See, because that's who he was prior to that. That's the glory that he had always existed in. And they got a glimpse of that glory. Almost like the veil was removed and suddenly they could see. The miracle was that God had covered that. That the Father had had not exposed that prior to that time. But they saw it. Now, would that not change your life? Just think about that. Out of all the billions of people that have ever lived, you are one of three individuals who were standing on the mount when Jesus' glory was revealed. And a voice came from heaven, from the Father, and He said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And Peter shut up. That That was something else, right? But it was like, of all those things, you were one of three people that have ever lived. Would you ever stop talking about that? What could cause you to be silent about that? Nothing. Peter's first line of evidence is, we were eyewitnesses. We were there. We saw His glory. We heard the voice from heaven. And it wasn't just that. What about all the other events that they witnessed over those three years that left such strong convictions? And how strong were the convictions? Do you remember when we were going through the book of Acts? Go back a couple years. If you'll remember, there was one section in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18, it says, 
This was when the same people who killed Jesus, the Sanhedrin, Peter and John, they were out, they were sharing the gospel, people were getting saved, miracles were being done, people were getting healed, and they pulled them in like, you guys need to shut up. Stop talking about this Jesus or we're going to kill you. Well, these are the same people that just did this. And Peter responds in verse 18, it says, So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. He didn't say, we can't stop teaching what we learned about Jesus from someone else. We can't stop teaching about what I went to school for. I learned this in seminary. He says, no, we can't stop teaching what we saw and what we heard. Kill us if you want. We're never going to stop. We can't stop. How can we deny this? That was the first proof. Then they had another major proof as well. Verse 19, it's talking about God's prophetic word confirmed. It says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What an amazing gift God has given to us in His word. What an amazing thing that we live in a day and age where you have a complete Bible. Because that didn't exist forever. All the years, I mean, written over a span of 1,500 years by all the different authors and everything that it took for the Word of God to come together. And here you have it in your lap. Now, some of you have thicker Bibles than others. It's not because you have more stuff in it. You have big, bigger letters than other people do art notes in there, right? Okay, my Bibles are getting thicker as I get older too, okay? But I don't care how thick your Bible is. When you think about that, the thickest Bible we have, call it this wide, that this is everything we need for life and godliness is what we learned in First Peter, right? How concise is that? As a guy who struggles to keep my teachings under 45 minutes, I have grown to appreciate somebody who is very concise <laughs> and can get teachings across. And I look at the Word of God and I go, how did you get everything that we need for life and godliness in this amount of volume of work? And yet God says, it's all you need. This is it. The Bible itself is amazing, but one particular aspect is the part that we need to focus on, which is truly amazing. And this is what Peter is talking about is the prophetic word confirmed. The prophetic word confirmed. This is something that false teachers, writings, or cults cannot replicate. 
They cannot replicate this. They can make up lies. They can make up myths. They can come up with crazy stories that you are a man that can become a god and go populate a whole other planet yourself and produce other Jesuses and other Satans. And you can do this whole thing over and over and over. And there's billions of planets. You can come up with stuff. You can say that, okay, Jesus wasn't really Jesus. He was some spirit. He was Michael the archangel. He didn't really die on a cross, died on stake. You know, you, you can come up with whatever you want. You can come up with all kinds of crazy stories. You name it. There's Lots of crazy stories out there. You can make up a new one if you like. If you want to start it, go ahead and start something new. You know, I mean, whatever it is, go for it. But here's the one thing you cannot do. You cannot replicate prophecy. They're powerless to do it. They can't do it. You look at their writings. You look at the Quran. You look at the Book of Mormon. You look at, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses New World Translation, which is a different Bible than ours. It's been heavily edited and things taken out and other things put in. You look at those things, they do not have the prophetic power. Prophecy is missing. It's not accurate. Because you can't make that up. You can't fake that. If you start a new religion, you'll have a really tough time. Go for it. Write out like 10 different prophecies. Go for it. Ten, just pick 10 and just go for it. Just 10. See how you do. Let's see, let's see how long your religion lasts. See how, how exact they are. Not vague prophecies. Specific prophecies. Very specific prophecies. And then fill your whole writings up with these things. And let's see how they stack up over time. See, we look at the Word of God, and people who attack the Word of God, they'll attack it, and we can go, uh, prophecy. This stuff was written, some of it, a thousand years before Christ. Some was written 500 years before Christ. Some of it was written, you know, at the very beginning, you know, right away, right after the fall. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of prophecy all throughout Scripture. Do you remember when we were teaching through the book of Luke, and remember Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus, and what he told the two? They were walking, the two men? He's like, you know, you guys should have known this. He goes, let me give you a quick Bible study. And he began at Moses and all the prophets and began explaining all the things about himself found in Old Testament Scripture. And gave him that Bible study of, this is what the Scripture says about me. This is what the Scripture says about me. This is what the Scripture says about me. This is how I fulfilled it. This is how I fulfilled it. This is how I fulfilled it. You're like, okay, well, maybe he was just a master strategist. And he like figured it out, and he had like all these things. He knew exactly what had to be done, and he just manipulated the circumstances so that he would be thought of as the Messiah, and he would come in as a false Messiah. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. This is what God says about his ability to do prophecy. In Isaiah 46, 9, it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. He says, I'm the only one who can declare the future events. And I will accomplish it. Remember on the Christmas, well, not Christmas Eve, but the week before Christmas, my message was on orchestrated chaos. And we look at all the chaos that, that God was allowing to happen right at that time, but how every single one of them was divine. Every single thing had the fingerprint of God. And it was just God working out so that it was unmistakable that this was the Messiah. Of all the babies that were born, they knew this is the Messiah. 
That's how God works. See, he not has he not only like says this will happen, but what he speaks is accomplished. If he says it's going to happen, guess what? It's going to happen. And it's not like he's like, you know, 56% accurate. Okay? He's 100% accurate, and the things that have not yet happened have just not yet happened. But we can look back on all the other things and go, he said that would happen, he said that would happen, he said that would happen, and we can trust him for the stuff that hasn't happened yet, right? Here's another verse. I want to reread this verse in uh, verse 19 in 2 Peter 1.19. But this is the Christian Standard Bible, and I really like this. This used to be the Holman translation, and they've tweaked it just a little bit more. But I'm really starting to like this translation a lot. It says, we also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I love that. Peter tells him, he loves these people and says, and you will do well to pay attention to it. It'd do you some good to pay attention to what I'm saying right here is what he's saying. God's prophecies contained in the Bible are not vague prophecies or promises, but strong confirmations. That's what they are. If there is a prophecy contained in Scripture, it's to confirm truth. It's so that you know for sure this was God. When the Old Testament, what was the punishment of a false prophet? If he gave a false prophecy, what was the punishment? Kicked out of prophet school? Death. That's how you knew. If he was like a prophet, well, ask him how long you've been living as a prophet. I've been living for five or six years. Cool. Okay. You must be a prophet at this point because you're not dead yet. That would really make you really guard your words, right? There wouldn't be a whole lot of people walking around, thus saith the Lord in the middle of meetings, right? Because people like picking up rocks like, eh? (laughs) You know, really? If that was that kind of pressure on you, you'd be really careful what you speak on behalf of God, right? It was no joke back then. And yet there were some. That's what's crazy. I want you to think of just all the prophecies, the specific prophecies concerning Jesus the Messiah. And I'm sorry it's so small, but I I wanted to get them all on one page. I've got eight of them right here. Specific prophecies, okay, about Jesus being the Messiah. Daniel 9, the timing of the Messiah's arrival. Now, if you've never done a study on Daniel 9, get yourself a really good commentary and look at how specific it is and it will blow your mind. The timing of the Messiah's arrival. Micah 5, 2, the exact city where the Messiah would be born. The exact city of all the places in the world, the exact city. Isaiah 7.14, the miraculous nature of his birth, that he would be born of a virgin. That's pretty specific. That's a pretty hard one to replicate. What about his specific lineage? I started thinking about this because, you know, when you look at the book of, you know, you look at the Gospels and you see the, the genealogies, and we don't like reading through the genealogies, right? But why is it there? Because it's important. You have the genealogies of both Joseph and Mary so that you can look back at their family history and just think about I just started thinking about my own genealogy, right? 
You know how terrible my, I, I am at my genealogy? I was like, okay, so my dad's name is Bob, and his dad's name was Roy. Roy had three sons. I wasn't born to Joe. I wasn't born to Linus. I was born to Bob. His dad, my grandpa's dad, I don't know his name, but I know he had at least two sons. He had great-uncle Bill. If God didn't want Clint to exist in the way that he was, see, instead of being born, instead of my dad being born to to Roy, he could have had him born to to Uncle Bill, and Bill then would have had other children, and, and maybe then... You know, I would have been one of that guy's children's instead, you know, kids instead of that. And I started thinking about, I'm like, that's only two generations. How specific did it have to be for Jesus to be the son of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jesse, David? And then you go through all of them and it's Rahab and it's all these stuff. And it's like, there's hundreds of names and you're like, it was every specific thing. How How precise did it have to be? Because all throughout the Old Testament, there's prophecies of the family that he would be intertwined with. And they had to be right. They had to go through and make sure, does this man come from this particular line? Just think of that. Man, you know, with all this stuff like Ancestry.com, I want to see somebody make it back to like Adam. I want to see it. Get all the way back to Adam. Because you think about that, just how, how wide and vast that is. How many different angles God could have taken instead of that one particular family? But he guided along perfectly. What about Hosea 1? That he would be called out of Egypt. You think about that minute detail, like why was that important? And yet, like I talked about that orchestrated chaos. God allowed those Romans to come in and say, hey, you got to report back to your census. You need to be back in Bethlehem. And then after that time when the persecution is, they had to go out of Egypt. Like all those little things that were happening that we look at and we go, man, this was just really inconvenient. You know, these are bad things. And God was just orchestrating all the specific details that every one of these prophecies would be fulfilled to the minute detail. What about Isaiah 61.1? The Spirit of the Lord would rest upon him. How many guys have had that happen? When did that happen? Baptism? The Holy Spirit rested upon him. It was visible. What about Psalm 22.16? That his hands and his feet would be pierced through. Hands and feet pierced through. David was writing that. Did that happen to David? No. Talking about the Messiah, one of his future descendants. What about Psalm 16, 8 through 11? That his body would not see corruption. Speaking of the resurrection, how many people have died and their bodies have not seen corruption? See, these are specific, impossible things to replicate. You can't manufacture these things. I don't know how many of you decided to be born in the city you were born. Did you, like, put it in before you were there? You know, hey, I want to be born in, you know, Phoenix, Arizona. That's where I'd like to be born. No. How many of you chose which family you were going to be born to? How many chose all the other circumstances? And you look at all the evidence of Jesus, and it's like, imagine that Bible study on the road to Emmaus. 
Imagine what Jesus was like this and this and this and this and this and this. And no wonder those guys' heads were spinning. There's one very well-known quote that, that most Christians are aware of, but I want to share it with you in case you're not, about the magnitude of the evidence that God has given to us through the confirmed prophecies of Jesus Christ. It's found in a really great resource, and it's something that you should have. If you do not, if you're, if you're a studier and you want to dig into the Word of God and you want to be able to stand in what you believe and answer some hard questions when they come to you or when you have them yourself, it's Josh McDowell's evidence that demand a verdict. I have the new evidence that demands a verdict. And the new evidence, it has this quote in here, talking about one man's research on this subject about prophecies in Jesus Christ. It says, there are, less, there are at least 332 distinct Old Testament prophecies regarding the Messiah that Jesus fulfilled perfectly. The combination of this evidence together from a simple statistical perspective is absolutely overwhelming. Professor Peter Stoner has calculated that the probability that any one man fulfilling eight, how many did I just give you? Eight. One man fulfilling eight of these prophecies is one in ten to the seventeenth power. The chance of one man fulfilling eight, and I think I did it wrong. You've got to have one more number because it's ten, so that's even wrong, but I wasn't going to redo it. That took a lot, okay? But that, I don't even know what that number is, but it's big. It's bigger than our deficit, okay? It's big. Eight prophecies. He goes on to say, that number of silver dollars, if you covered the entire state of Texas... Eliminated all the buildings. Every, there are no trees. Just eliminate all the buildings. And you just laid down two feet deep of silver dollars. And you blindfolded an individual from Oregon. And you said, we're going to walk you into the middle of Texas. And you're standing on two feet deep of silver dollars. They're all exactly the same, but one has a different date on it. We're going to blindfold you. We're going to shuffle all this up. And you have one chance to bend down and pick up the exact one. That's that number. That's the likelihood of that happening. One shot. One man. That's eight prophecies. Stoner says, if you consider 48 of these prophecies, the number goes to 10 to the 157th power. That. <laughs> I had to count those, and I did that painstakingly for all of you, and I still think I'm missing one. Now, <laughs> I don't know what that number is, that's 48 prophecies. 48 that you cannot control. The chances of one man fulfilling just 48 of the 332 identified prophecies about Jesus. 48 of them. What would the number be if it was 332? Oh my God. <laughs> you know, we couldn't contain it. There'd be zeros everywhere. People, 
Why is prophecy important? Because it zeroes it in on Jesus. You know you got the right Messiah. You know you got the right one. And because eternity is determined by your belief in Jesus, you better make sure you have the right Messiah. You better make sure it's not a myth. You better make sure it's not somebody's own fancy idea of what they think Jesus would be like. You better make sure it's the right one. You have eyewitness testimony from the apostles, both of what they saw and heard, and then you have the stronger confirmed word of God. It was great to have the apostles around while they were all alive, I'm sure. But now you got their works in your lap and beyond. You've got the prophets. You've got all of the, the writings and their the historical writings. They, guys, how long has archaeology really been going? Not very long. If you do a little bit of research on it, I don't know what the year is, but it hasn't been very long where they developed that. And guess what they're doing as they're digging in Israel? What are they finding? After each layer of further down, because they would just level a society, they would come in and build on top of it and do it over. Every layer layer they go further, what are they finding? They're like, hey, this name's in the Bible. Whoa, he did exist. Some kid throws a rock in a cave. Just out wandering around in the middle of Israel. Throws a rock in the cave, here's something, glass breaks. They go and climb inside that cave, and what do they find? Treasures of scrolls in there. And what do the scrolls contain? The book of Isaiah. And they look at that and go, that was 900 years before the time of Christ. And yet, it's still there. Nobody added this stuff. Because for years, people would say, oh, it's too specific. They must have added that in later. So God sends this little kid out with a rock. Kids are like, yeah, I'm going to throw rocks. See what God will do through my life. You're just going to break windows and you're going to get thrown in jail. Okay? But (laughs) you sell Jesus with convicts. That's what you're going to do. Okay? But God's just orchestrating things. He's just waiting for us to stumble upon it. Just showing, there it is. That's God. That's Jesus. He's the right one. Jesus did, and Peter says, it would serve you well to take heed that that one proof alone, just the strongly confirmed prophecies of God, that just like a bright light that's shining in a dark place, that you hold on to that bright light, just the Word of God. Until when? Until the daylight dawns. You guys ever had a candle or a light when it's completely dark and you put it in a completely dark room? Once your once your eyes adjusted, aren't you amazed at how much light that little light gives? It's like, wow, I can start seeing things and I can it's it's amazing how God designed our eyes, even how they function and that type of thing, and, and you can see things. But man, what what if you were in a, a room that was just completely dark and you had your little candle out or your little flashlight or whatever it is and It's like, man, this is so cool. But then the sun rises. The windows are open. How much light does that little candle give at that moment? None, because it's absorbed by what? The greater light. Peter tells him, you guys hold on to the more sure confirmed word of God. Until the actual daylight dawns in your heart. 
the morning star. Who's the morning star? Revelation 22.16 I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Morning star literally means the light bringer. I bring the light. I say it all the time. I flip the switch. When somebody does not believe and we're praying for relatives and we're praying for people who don't know the Lord and we've shared with them and we're like, man, they just can't see it. They, why, why can't they understand that this is real? Why can't they see that Jesus is calling them and turn from that life? We need to pray that the Lord flips the switch, just like he flipped the switch for you and I. Don't you remember? If you're born again, don't you remember when, when you went to church that day or somebody shared with you that day or whatever it was, and all of a sudden it was like, uh-huh, it makes sense. I've shared my testimony with you guys many times. You, you probably know it better than I do. But when I went to church that day, the Lord was drawing me. I had no idea. My wife and I just went to church. We weren't invited. I just, I won't go into the whole backstory, but we showed up to church and everything that guy was saying was hitting me right between my eyes. I just knew for the first time in my life, something was true about God that I had never considered before. And everything he said, everything he was saying was just penetrating my soul. And at that moment, he didn't even have great stats like I just gave you guys. He, as a matter of fact, I'll get onto that. But everything that he shared, I was just sitting there at the end. He's like, anybody want to accept Jesus? Just raise your hand. And my wife and I both on the same day, which is a miracle in itself, we accepted the Lord the same day. Both of us were born again. God flipped the switch. I had heard the gospel before. My dad used to drag me to church hoping something would change in my life, you know? When I was in rebellion, he'd be like, something, you know, bring this kid to church. Something's got to change. God didn't flip the switch. And the teacher that I was sitting under was a gifted teacher. He's got a huge church in Arizona, and God uses them powerfully. But that switch wasn't flipped for me. And then one day, it was. And I surrendered my life that day, and that was it. And my life changed, and so did my wife's. The rest of the story is, years after that, first time I had been in full-time ministry, when I first went into full-time ministry, I went and served at the church where I got saved. And I was going to be the youth pastor at that church. I moved back to Sierra Vista, quit my job, and I'm going there, and they still had cassette tapes of the teachings. And I was like... I want that. To, I want to hear what, how God saved me. And I found the teaching of the day I got saved. And I found a radio that could play cassettes. And I listened to it, and I remember how disappointed I was. It was not a very good teaching. <laughs> it really was not. And it just showed me that it doesn't have to be. It's not the teacher. It's the Spirit of God. It's all in the Spirit of God. It's not. It's not. The content has to be right. But, but it doesn't have to be this powerful, convincing message. It's just the Lord. It's like, wow. Amazing. Anyways, let's finish this up. Then he finishes up with these last two amazing verses. He says in verse 20, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. He wants his people to know something for sure, okay? Where the word of God came from. 
It wasn't just like, you know, these guys were like, you know, I, I, I'm going to write some scripture today, <laughs> you know. I, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to write like, I'm going to write the book of Romans today. I'm, I'm going to lay it down and these people are going to share it and it's going to be good. No, it's not how it worked. Now there's, you know, it's debatable on exactly the process. God doesn't tell us exactly what it was, but here's what I happen to believe based on this one passage, what I believe is, is evident. The true prophecies that we have in the Word of God, the, the true Word of God about the Messiah, were never subject to one's own private interpretation of what God was communicating through them. There was plenty of times where people wrote things down and they're like, they didn't even understand it themselves. I'm sure that when, when David was writing down that song that he was writing down, he's like, pierce my, hand, my hands and my, my feet. Okay. You, okay, well, you're never going to let my body see corruption. What? And just as these thoughts are going through his head and there's a strong compulsion by the Holy Spirit guiding him and saying, write these down. Write these down. It wasn't mechanical. It wasn't like they fell under a trance and then they were like, you know, in the beginning, God created the world. You know, it wasn't like that. Because we see their personalities are evident in each one of their letters. Every letter is distinct. You can see that they had individual personalities that came through their letters. So it wasn't like robotic by any means. This passage, I think, is really important to understand because... In the many Bibles where it says interpretation, you'll find another translation of that Greek word which says origin. Okay? It, it didn't originate from them. It wasn't like they wrote something and God, God said, yeah, we'll use that. It wasn't that. That's good. Yeah, put that in my book. You know, that wasn't what it was. No prophecy of Scripture ever originated within the writer's own mind or by their own will, but rather these holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That word moved is really important because what was Peter prior to being an apostle? What did he do? Fishermen. The word moved is a word that is used for fishermen. Fishermen. It says the prophets raised their sails. They raised their sails. So to speak, they were obedient and receptive and the Holy Spirit filled them and carried their craft along in the direction he wished. They put up their sails. They were willing. When I, when I teach sometimes, and my heart breaks when I don't get to experience this. And, and I have to tell you, sometimes I don't experience this. But, but there are times when, when I'm preparing a study, and I can sense the Holy Spirit is leading me. I can sense it. Just the words are just flowing. Words are flowing, and concepts are coming together, and I'm thinking of other passages, and he's tying it all together, and it's just, it's, it's, it's bigger than what I had envisioned. It's bigger, it's, it's digging deeper than I wanted to go, and, it's, and I can sense it's the Spirit moving. It's something that he's doing. 
Sometimes when I'm teaching, I experience that. I have my notes and I'm prepared. And, and sometimes I feel like I'm like a slow, I'm a snow plow trying to like push through the snow to get my point across. And it's, it's a struggle and it's not quite there. And there's some times where it's like I'm on a slip and slide, you know, and it's just like, woo, you know, and it's just going and things are coming together and the concepts are hitting and the Lord's bringing like different things up as I'm teaching. Different illustrations are coming to my mind and it's like, you know, it's, I can sense it's the spirit of God. And afterwards I listen to it. I'll listen to those. And I'm like, wow, that was not in my notes. And that was something God gave me for these people at this moment. And it was perfect. Thank you, Lord. And that's just how the sail goes up and the Holy spirit fills. And he kind of directs what he wants. Now, did God like in the middle of my teaching is like, you know, you see all of a sudden I straighten up and I get stiff. I'm like, thus saith the Lord, you know, and it, all right. No, it's a natural thing. It's a natural thing that the Holy Spirit is doing as you have someone who's willing to raise the sail and say, breathe into it, Lord. Guide me wherever you want me to go. And that's how the word of God came about. When these guys were doing it, they lifted their sails. And the Lord started impressing certain concepts and thoughts in their head and they're writing it down. And just like I get while I'm studying the word of God and it's kind of coming together and I'm all typing it out. And next thing you know, it's like I'm on page 12. I'm like, oh, I got to edit this, you know, because this is going to be like a six hour study. And, you know, and I'm and I'm just like, wow, man, that was the Lord. And I just knew it was God. That's exactly not exactly. That's what they experienced on a much greater level. Where God superintended his word but allowed them to be participants in being used. It's amazing. This is why this verse is really important. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Inspiration, that word, I'm going to give you another word study. That word is right here. Theopneustos, however you want to say that. Theos means God, panu means to breathe. God, breathe. All scripture is given by God, breathe. The sail blowing into it. By inspiration of God. God doesn't breathe into man's words and make them his words. God breathes out his word. And man catch it by their cell. And they were faithful to accurately record in the original autographs. Faithful to record. You may be asking, well, how do you know? Let me give you one of the greatest proofs of it being from God. Not just that it still exists today, and we can go back, we have like 24,000 manuscripts just in the New Testament that you can piece together multitudes of scripture to confirm it and make sure that we have the right writings, which we do, and that's all established, everything's there. Not only do we have that kind of evidence, but let me tell you about the evidence that I have that nobody else will ever convince me is wrong. The power of the word of God. In my life. I can't tell you how many times that God's breathed word has been breathed into my heart to give me life. 
I can't tell you how many times I've been in that situation where I desperately needed to hear something from God. And through his word, he met that need and spoke specifically to me. And it wasn't just the, oh, speak something to me. Go hang yourself. No, that wasn't, you know, that's not what I wanted, God. It wasn't that. It was, I'm reading through the word of God. And God just takes that word and he makes it alive for me at that moment and meets me right at the place I'm at. And it's almost as if the Lord grabbed me by you know, my cheeks, by my face and says, listen, Clint, this is for you. And it gives me life. I have never read any other book that can read me but the word of God. None. The word of God is living. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. There's no other book on this planet that cuts through me like the word of God. Meets me at exactly where I need to be met. It's really amazing that Paul uses that in 2 Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed because there's only two other things that this one commentator, I found this interesting, he mentions there's only two other things in the Old Testament that we have that says God literally breathed out something. The first one is Psalms 33.6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and the host of them by the breath of his mouth. <sighs> breathed out our entire universe. What about humanity? Genesis 2.7. And the Lord God formed man in the, out of, of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. So you have God breathe out his word. God breathe out the universe. God breathe life into man. And I thought, you missed one. There's one other one that I think is really important. The book of John. After the resurrection. Peter was struggling at this point. Do you remember? He was going back fishing. He was going to take up his old business. They were defeated. They were scared. They're running around. They didn't know what was going to happen. Jesus was killed. Were we following a false Messiah? Every, everything was just turned upside down in their life. And then John chapter 20, when he had said this, after he shows again, he comes to them in the resurrected state. He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on them. And they received the Holy Spirit. If you remember back in that study... It was from that moment on when all those apostles became strong and willing to die for Jesus, even though Jesus had been so horribly murdered. They knew he was God after the resurrection. They knew it. All the promises were true. It all came together. They finally understood, and now they are emboldened for it. And now Peter says, the third member of the Trinity of God, the triunity of God, the Holy Spirit, breathe God's word into existence 
through those vessels that he used to share his word. And that's why, part of the reasons why we have strongly confirmed the word of God. Strongly confirmed the word of God. We don't need to be weak or weary in this. We don't need to be scared about being challenged. There is no one who has torn down the word of God out of nearly 2,000 years of existence. And trust me, there's been a lot smarter people than that friend you have that came up with something they found on the internet. There's nothing that has disproved it. And we hold on to this word of God as a light in the midst of darkness right now. But there will come a day where we don't even need that anymore, even though it's an eternal word. There's going to come a day where a greater light is going to be here. And you know when that time is? The return of the Lord, guys. When the Lord returns, that light will still be burning. It's not going to be anywhere as bright as the Lord himself. How much more evidence will you need than when you stand before the Lord of the universe, resurrected, glorified, and you are in his presence? Are you going to be like, well, about those other 300 prophecies that Clint didn't touch on Jesus? uh, No, trust me, at that point you're like, convinced! (laughs) Convinced! Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. There won't be any arguments, there won't be any what ifs. It'll be settled. Until then, you do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And I'm not just talking about the second coming of Christ. I am also talking about the fact when you are in a dark place and you can't see the light, you would do very well to be in your word until the, light, until the Lord allows the light to shine in your heart once again. Because sometimes he does allow dark places and sometimes he does allow tough times. And I'm convinced sometimes it's to get us back on our knees right before him. To prioritize things once again and say, I'm not living like this anymore. I'm living for him. You would do well to heed these things. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the example that you have given to us through Peter. Thank you that you filled his sails with these things that you explained. It was a mystery, Lord. No, no one knew how you did this. And yet just a little glimpse of how you did it. You wrote through this humble little servant, Lord, this fisherman, uneducated fisherman. And yet you told us just enough to know about how you conveyed your word. Father, if you could use someone like that, then couldn't you use us? Not to add to your word because your word is complete. We don't need to add to it. We need to learn it. We need to understand it. But Lord, couldn't you use our lives in a way that we didn't expect? To do greater things than we ever desired. Father, we want to lift ourselves to you as well. We want you to blow into it, Lord. We want you to just expand the the callings that you have for our lives and help us to be brave enough to enter into them, to let go, stop stop tying on to the port and dropping the anchors, Lord, help us to cut them. Help us to cut the rope and just see where you're going to take our lives. 
We thank you, Jesus, for just all that you've shown us, all that you've done for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would just do a great work in and through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.